Welcome to Novel Romantics, a podcast about contemporary American fiction. I'm the host of Novel Romantics, Douglas Cowie. I'm a writer and teacher. Today we'll be discussing The Night Always Comes by Willie Vlotten. And my guest today is Robert Eaglestone. A graduate of Manchester, Southampton, and the University of Wales, Robert Eaglestone is Professor of Contemporary Literature and Thought at Royal Holloway University of London. He works on contemporary literature and literary theory, contemporary philosophy, and on Holocaust and genocide studies. He's the author of eight books, including The Very Short Introduction to Contemporary Fiction, and editor or co-editor of 10 more, including The Routledge Companion to 21st Century Literary Fiction with Dan O'Gorman. His work has been translated into seven languages, and he's spoken at many literary festivals and on UK national radio. He likes the Delines, but left halfway through a Richmond Fontaine gig because, very unusually, he just wasn't feeling it at all that night. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, Doug, for that lovely introduction, and thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. We'll come back to the Richmond Fontaine gig and the Delines, because today, as I said, we're going to discuss The Night Always Comes by Willie Vlotten, who, in addition to being the author of six excellent novels, is a songwriter and a musician who's played in both of those bands, Richmond Fontaine and currently the Delines. And his songwriting and his novel writing have points of comparison that we may get into or at least glancingly discuss as we go along today. But um, uh, Bob, I, I said he's the author of six novels. This is the first of those six novels that you've read. So I wonder if you want to just start off with some first impressions of reading Willie Vlotten for the first time. Well, I want to thank you, most of all, Doug, for suggesting this novel. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I, I really enjoyed it. I read it in in kind of two sittings, almost all in one go, and then just finishing up the next day. I mean, it, it's 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 so well written it's so gripping but also i thought it's one of the best accounts i've read of kind of life after the credit crunch you know life where the american dream or the the western european dream is kind of collapsing and and i mean i've read lots of what we call the uk kind of crunch lit which is books about the credit crunch and the wider economic situation but nothing i thought with the kind of power and integrity of this so it's a real treat. Thank you. I want to follow up on that. First, I want to congratulate you on reading it in mostly one sitting. I read it, I think I read it in two sittings, but I found it, I would have, I had the time to read it in one. I love reading books in one sitting if I can. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have the heart or the will, I think, to get through it in one. I was just so, it's such an intense and I, I don't want to say demoralizing novel, because I don't think it is a demoralizing novel. It's it's really weird, isn't it? It's like one of those songs in which the the lyrics are really sad, but the tune is really jaunty, or possibly the other way around, uh, and it's somehow both sad and, and not sad at the same time. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm trying to. I'm struggling to kind of find a, I don't know, a, not a highfalutin way of describing that. But there's a there's a kind of melancholy, but it's an uplifting melancholy. Um, it's quite a harrowing novel, this one. Some of his novels are, some of his songs are also quite harrowing. Well, the bit that redeems it, I think, is right at the end when you realise that it's it's kind of her love for her brother has kind of saved her. And all the way through, mm -hmm. you're thinking that, that he's a kind of drain and a pain. And it's only then that you realise it's her kind of giving of her love to her brother, which has, made, which has kind of saved her from the depredations of all the things she's had to go through. It's interesting you say that 
I felt that way straight from the beginning of this novel. <laughs> You're a more insightful reader than I'm me. A, maybe I'm just a nicer person. <laughs> well, because because the novel opens with her brother. Um, so you know, I'll just read the opening sentence. Kenny had his hands around her ankle and began pulling her from the bed. A small lamp on the dresser was the only light in the room, and as, as he stood over her in his Superman t-shirt and pajama bottoms, and that this this image recurs towards the end of the novel. Uh. Um, but it so like I guess if you're reading it symbolically, right? It's like he's her little brother who's got these learning disabilities, literally has a grip on her life. But everything in those in that opening chapter really strikes me as. Lynette's expressions of Lynette's love for him. You know, she takes him to work with her and sits him down and makes sure that he's okay and gives him these like instructions that are designed to keep him safe and all this kind of stuff. And it it never occurs to me that there's anything else going on in this novel. So it kind of doesn't matter to me whether you you know, you read that opening couple of sentences or the opening chapter that I that I started reading and you immediately kind of grasp that idea or whether it's something that you end up discovering as you did, Bob, like later on in the novel, you kind of, it falls into place for you because I think that, that the sense of that is ingrained all the way through anyway. And, and the revelation of that is, you know, it's in the fabric of his of his plot and also of his prose as you go along anyway. Yeah, it's it's complete. It's completely woven through. Yeah, um, and one of the other, I mean, the other thing I liked about it is that you knew fairly on, fairly early on, it was going to be one of those kind of all in a day novels, yeah. and so I was kind of strapped in for a for a ride like that. But it also reminded me, as I, think I said to you, I've only read it once, and so I apologise. But it also reminded me of kind of a rewriting of Mice and Men, mm-hmm. only. Only a kind of differently gendered one and a metropolitan one, not a rural one, and with a, with a different ending. In fact. Can you say just a little bit more about that? So I thought I kept thinking of Lynette and Kenny as Lenny, and I can't remember the, I can't remember his other name. I'm sorry, the other guy in Of Mice and Men, and it's the same. It's just they're kind of struggling financially. They're kind of tied into each other. Lenny is a kind of liability, and they obviously kind of love each other and it has that kind of intensity of relationship fighting off the whole world and in this novel it's kind of resolved in a a different and more beautiful kind of way than Mm. in of mice and men yeah which george and lenny by the way george um, and lenny i didn't want to interrupt you yeah um yeah that doesn't resolve in a beautiful and (laughs) kind (laughs) way (laughs) um though you know the thing is Willie Vlotten's novels don't need to resolve in, and they don't always resolve in kind ways. I think one of the things that's interesting to me, and um, there's Lynette says something about this towards the end of this novel on page 168. She says, she says, I want to be nice because I want to be better. I want to be the kind of person who is nice. And almost all of his novels are about people like that. A lot of his songs are about people like that. Because a lot of his songs are sort of little, you know, for lack of a better term, ballads. They tell a story about they about are. about people, and and they're often about people who want to be nice, who want to do nice things or the the right things, but for whom circumstances prevent them from from doing that in ways that work out for them. Um, which yeah. I guess it comes back to what you said about this being a novel about 
you know, the financial collapse and how that, what the pressures that that puts on people is that if you don't have money, you can't, it's hard to be nice if you don't have money. It's hard to do the right thing yeah, if you and, don't and, have money. And that, and that goes all the way through, doesn't it? For all the characters, they're all short of money. They're all kind of uh, grafting in different ways. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a constant stress. And it's also one of those novels where you are constantly kind of monitoring her bank balance, aren't you? You're yeah. constantly thinking she needs to get this money. How much has she got from this? How much has she got from this? What's going to happen to that? And every time there's a, some terrible reverse, like her bag gets stolen, you think, oh, my God, now she's lost this many dollars. It's all going to be awful. Yeah. So, I mean, just to clue people in a little bit, it doesn't this doesn't give anything away either is that the, the the basic plot of the novels it takes place over the course of a of, of a couple of days um in portland oregon and it's about a woman trying to get the money together to buy the house that she and her mother and her learning disabled brother share and that they rent because they they've, they've been given an opportunity to buy it i, oh, I was going to say something else uh, about this niceness trying to be nice and there's an interesting thing is that all of the characters are trying are are trying to graft to get money to live their lives but they're not all nice people no. and they're also not all honest people but also there's no equivalence between being nice and being honest in this novel <laughs> the nice people are sometimes dishonest the 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 really deeply unpleasant people that that Lynette encounters um, I don't think I don't think all of the unpleasant people that she encounters are deeply unpleasant, but there, there's lots no. of different types of unpleasant people she encounters, and some of them are really horrible. Um, but they're not necessarily dishonest. Some of them are, yeah. Some of them aren't, and it's really interesting to see. I think one of the things that's, that's really intriguing to me about this novel is how well he portrays and how this is going to be a slightly paradoxical thing I'm going to say, but he how honestly he portrays dishonesty. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely right. And you can see, you can almost track the bits where the various characters she kind of allies with. So she, at one stage she allies with a kind of burglar uh, and you can almost see where they they twist and turn and you can see where their eyes light up and they decide to change their plans and so on. Yeah. Um, but she's always, I don't know, um, I don't know how spoilery we can be, but she she's always pretty honest. I mean, she does burglar somebody's house but only to get back the money that she's owed well <laughs> yeah so it's a peculiar kind of um honesty i suppose I, she's not always honest though i think there's some amb ambiguity no. about her honesty so towards the end and a lot of it plays out in dialogue which is something else i want to talk to you about is like how he uses dialogue and and the different dynamics of dialogue maybe in the novel but but there are times where she point blank lies so like the person yeah. who she burgles confronts her and and she lies about having like the woman's like, I know you burgled me. And she says, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, she's lying. Yeah. Um, but but she does. She does send all the papers and photographs back to her in the end. Yeah. But that's, you know. OK. Yeah. <laughs> OK. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and so that's not the, that's I, not the I, only I moment those... either. So go ahead. Well, I was going to say, but but sometimes she lies because she's in conflict with the people, and and her only weapon really is her, her her only weapon is her her talking and her mouth. I mean, that's that's the only thing she has. She hasn't got a gun. She hasn't got money. She hasn't kind of her beauty has faded. 
and so she has to kind of fight people by talking and persuading uh, and kind of begging and so she does lie but i always thought that was kind of because she was fighting with her language if that makes sense yeah yeah no i mean i think this is that absolutely makes sense i think it's one of the things that's interesting about the novel is i i don't i don't mean to suggest either that i'm somehow judging her in some moralistic way for the lying but it's that she's she's continually presenting herself as honest in situations where she's not necessarily being honest i think her overall the overall arc of what she's doing has an honesty and a credibility and a i guess credulousness to it or credulity are those both words or is only one of those a word anyway but she's but within certain situations she finds herself needing to not tell the truth in order to get to where she needs to be i think that the great there's a greater truth yeah. that she's striving towards i don't mean that in a kind of metaphorical way like she's you know this person owes you money and like you have to do this thing or you know the person who she's stolen from who confronts her there's no real reason to just say okay yeah because she doesn't she also doesn't have the stuff that she stole at that point so she can kind of no. be, be economical anyway but there's also like there's this really interesting scene where she goes she goes to visit jj who she used to live with and they had this whole conversation about their past in which they're both trying to justify it starts on page 117 in the book but they're both trying to kind of justify their own past and present behavior to one another having had this shared past and having obviously um been quite codependent in how they yeah you know how they functioned with respect to one another both they both used each other kind of when yeah. you read through that that part of the novel you kind of feel like that you come out of it and they've both been using each other in different ways and and you know you have to kind of decide what you think about that as a as a reader as a person but it's also not clear as that the conversation starts out fairly straightforwardly and then it, as it goes on longer and longer, and it's quite a long passage of dialogue, it goes on for a few pages, and it's it's just them talking. It starts to take some some turns where it's not quite clear who they they can't both be telling the truth. Yeah, and it's and it's not quite clear who is telling the truth. You side with her because because she's the protagonist of the novel that you're reading. But that doesn't mean that she's more honest in those moments. No. And it's and the scene itself is really ambiguous. It asks you to take a decision or to believe them both or to not believe them both or to suggest that maybe the truth of what happened is somewhere between them. And it's got nothing like what what JJ is saying isn't right and what Lynette's saying isn't right. But they're both just like the dialogue. Ju they're just they're each using it to justify their own past and present behaviors. Yeah, and, and that ties into something you said earlier on about the, the honesty of representing these kind of dishonest people, which mm -hmm. is that, you know, if, if you take two steps back, you can see that he's a kind of drug dealing pimp and he kind of groomed her and she was she was okay with being groomed because she was so needy and he kind of pimped her out. And yet the, it's the one of the great things about this is the book doesn't use those kind of names ever. It doesn't kind of um it doesn't categorize people there's a bit right close to the end when she's arguing with her friend who she robbed from and she says well you're a prostitute and i'm a prostitute and that's yeah. the first time where kind of people's classes or, or characters are given those kind of names and i thought that was a a brilliant way of 
eschewing kind of simple judgments and just showing how people end up in desperate situations. Yeah, and it's quite a stark moment with that naming, I'm a prostitute, you're a prostitute, because you've seen them being prostitutes through the novel. But but as you say, never having been, that word is never used. You see the transactions. Yeah. But but obviously people don't talk about it in the moments of transactions in these ways either. And so, so you see it play out on its own terms in its own vocabularies. And then that moment is a way of her. And what's, in, what's also interesting is she's using it as a way of drawing a line about herself. And, and by saying it, she's also saying it's not who I am. Yeah. Uh, and that also ties into a thing, which I, a thing which I really liked about this novel a lot, which was the detail. Like mm-hmm. it's full of brilliantly observed details, things like she works in a bakery and she knows she can't let her brother use the toilet when the after 7 a.m. when the owner arrives. And that's just that's, that's that kind of level of of knowing how things work when you're bumping along the bottom and how things are kind of put together. I, I just all the way through, it gave me such confidence that I was reading something that was really kind of authentic, to use your word from earlier on. Yeah, it, it works not just on the level of, on the level of that of that kind of day to day existence thing that you've just described with, a, you know, how her workday works. It also works on this on the level of how he how he portrays the city. So the novel's set in Portland, Oregon, and it's and it's it's actually and it's in fact dedicated to Portland, Oregon. The novel, the dedication yeah. page reads for the Portland that let a hard living house painter buy his own house. He tells you quite a lot about Portland without ever really making a big deal out of telling you a lot about Portland, by which I mean, yeah, like I, I'm gonna. So basically, what I mean is that he does it by just naming stuff. So, and and it, like a good example of it in a chapter that I want to talk about more later, but but we'll stick to just this one idea for the time being. Is in chapter sixteen, the fir- the first paragraph of it. The rain continued, and the clock on the dashboard said five twenty a.m. Her car started on the fifth try, and she drove to Prescott and headed north on 60th. For 13 years, she had avoided JJ's neighborhood the best she could. If she had to drive near it, down Cully or Prescott to get somewhere, just the names alone would unsettle her. She avoided the grocery store he used to go to, the part of Alberta Street where his vintage shop was, the Tuckeria he had once liked, the Dairy Queen, the liquor store, the Thai place, the barbecue joint, and she never went into any of the bars or clubs she knew he'd liked. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. It's very simple. And it's just, in in a large Mm. part, it's the naming of places that starts to build a picture of it. So there's like, there's another kind of writing. And I'm not suggesting that one is is better than the other. They're just different ways of approaching writing. But there's another kind where it's like you you give a, a portrait of the city or of the setting or of the place by insisting in certain ways on its meaning. And so you're like, you know, the um the taqueria would get named and it would be like, you know, whatever, so and so's taqueria where you know mm-hmm. as teenagers they'd blah and, and it gives you this kind of background in it or like you show it as the hub of a neighborhood and you build out this meaning and symbolic value to the place and like nothing nothing in this novel gets lent symbolic value in that way it's just there for its own sake and it, and the picture gets built up by the naming of streets and the naming of places even if you can't visualize them yourself as a reader of the novel you know the importance because they're being named and i quite like that that's the brilliance of the of the focalization through her is that it's it's so much inside her head that not only the things named named 
but you slowly become aware of their significance to her. I mean, this paragraph that you read out is a, is a good example. There's also the, the diner that her grandfather used to take her to, which occurs earlier in the novel because they know that they can, um, Kenny can go there safely. Mm-hmm. And there's the local, the store near the bakery where they know that Kenny can go in and he'll be looked after. So you also get a sense of kind of where in this changing place, where's friendly and where's not friendly. Because it's all done very brilliantly through her. Yeah, absolutely. The doing things through her side is also part of what makes the um, dialogue that we were talking about earlier work yeah. so well because she she's a very she's a very credible person. Like you you buy into her and her way of seeing things, but she's also very credulous. She believes in people when they tell yeah. her things. She trusts people that she shouldn't. And even while you're watching her, while you're watching her trust people that she shouldn't. You can understand why she's why she yeah. You can understand why she's trusting them and that she has to and and you believe in her belief that they will help her right up to the moment that they don't. And yeah. that's a quite a difficult thing to do as, as a writer, I think, to like withhold that authorial authority really. Um same word. That that authority over like you can cast what she's doing. You can say Lynette shouldn't have trusted this guy, but here she trusted this guy. But instead, he just sticks with her and shows her trusting. I was interestingly enough. I read the novel I read before I read this one was um, Rumblefish by S. E. Hinton, and she there's oh, like yeah. a there's a really short author's note at the beginning of it that she wrote. So the the novel I think was written in '68 or something, and then in the sometime in the '90s I think she wrote like a little author's note for it, and what she talks about having started out writing the story from Steve's perspective, who's the kind of like the guy who's the smart nerdy friend who eventually grows up to be a teacher and whatever. And in the film version, there's an implication that he's going to become a writer. He's always writing in a notebook, but that she found it was too easy to have this articulate character telling this story. And so she, she made Rusty James the narrator because it gave her a challenge of telling a story through a character who wasn't particularly smart and wasn't particularly articulate. And I think it's a really interesting idea. I mean, she didn't invent that idea either, but it's, but it's, but it's interesting that this is a kind of novel working in a similar way. That's the thing, the, the point about that credulousness and trustingness in her, you're making me see is exactly part of what makes her uh, a kind of decent character. She hasn't yet been worn away by all the failure and crime and sex and things going wrong. There is still kind of uh, a recovering Lynette there because one of the things I thought was really powerful is, if you like, her backstory, which comes through the various conversations she has with her mother and with JJ and how she's kind of been down right to the bottom only when she was 17 or 18 and now is kind of building herself up again. And and that's and now we talk about that. That does kind of coincide actually with the credit crunch, doesn't it? But they but that sense of of um, her reconstructing herself, I think, is super powerful and really moving. I thought. Yeah, she's and a lot of a lot of his characters, I think, are this way, and it's partly what makes them compelling. Is that they're they're to put it slightly crudely, they're they're um, they're characters who engage in quite corrupt activities but who themselves are ultimately incorruptible like they there's a there's a there's a heart and a belief in goodness that they have about themselves that they that they hang on to to try and get to where they need and want to be 
Um, it's, it reminds me now we can come to his songwriting a bit. There's one of his songs yes. um, where the the woman narrating the song um, is asking her boyfriend or whatever to give her a ride into town so she can go drinking while he's at work. And she keeps saying, I won't slip up <laughs> yeah. over and over again. Give me a ride into town. I won't slip up. I won't slip up. And you just know the whole song is basically you're going to slip up. It's like it, the tragedy of it is that she really means it. And it's not going to happen, yeah. but maybe next time it'll happen, and maybe next time it'll happen. But that what well, that's one of his very most well observed songs, and that's got the fantastic bit where you see her watching the the, the manager of the supermarket she works in checking the cash register after she's finished after she's finished her shift. Yeah, and you see, and just that brilliant image, which he does much more quickly than I just explained it tells you all about her life and what she's done wrong before and what sort of person she has been and what sort of person she's striving not to be now. So I thought of her quite a lot during this novel, actually, that the, the narrator of that particular song. Yeah, because this is another... Lynette is constantly being reminded by people of things she did to them um, that are at odds with who she sees herself as being yeah. and and who she is claiming herself to be now i don't think she, i don't think she's unreliable about who she's claiming herself to be she doesn't always live up to who she's claiming herself to be i suppose that's another thing that's interesting she's not the narrator of the novel so she's not a um because it's, it's told in the third person but yeah so she's not an unreliable narrator but even if it was you know even if you just did a crass thing and like changed the the she's to i she still wouldn't be unreliable but she's unreliable to herself she's kind of an unreliable character who struggles sometimes in certain situations to really kind of square with herself what it is she's doing but but i, I thought that i thought that that was one of the things that made it uh cut to speak like in a silly way made it a proper novel <clears throat> you know it's not a story of straightforward redemption mm -hmm. she's ha she's had this terrible experience when she was uh 16 17 being kind of uh, working as a sex worker and so on mm -hmm. and addicted to drugs and now she's putting herself together she's controlling her temper and, but she still slips from time to time. And you can still see in her occasional kind of quick, if criminal, decisions mm -hmm. that she's got – she still has her temper, the way she uh, stuffs up the one of the business – one of her johns. And then she also is quite quick to make criminal decisions. And you think, blimey, where did that come from? <clears throat> and then as the novel goes on, you think, okay, so she has done some of this before. Yeah. She's, and she's, she's kind of street sliding smart. Back. She's very street smart. She's street smart. Yeah, she really is. And I thought that was, so that's also quite well done. Um, and the other thing, speaking about that, the other thing that I thought was really great was that, you know, you can tell that she's not, she keeps talking how, how hard she studies and yet she only just passes the exam or just fails the exam. And she's really struggling with her studies, not just because she's working two jobs and so on. And I thought the sense that, you know, she wasn't one of these people who eventually is going to get a writing scholarship to Iowa and live happily ever after. <laughs> She's always going to be struggling and always going to be in that kind of level. I thought that was a really powerful sense for me. Mm -hmm. I, I, was, I, was, I was pausing because I didn't want to just say, can you say more about that, Bob? But, um, but can you say a bit more about that, Bob? <laughs> yeah. So I, I agree that, that there's lots of somehow this in this depressing novel, there's lots of kind of rather beautiful things like her love for her brother. And it turns out her mother's love for her brother, too. Mm -hmm. And the way that she and her mother can negotiate 
how they are. They have a terrible kind of row at the beginning and then a wrangle at the end, but they negotiate with each other. And that's rather beautiful. But it's also... I mean, it's also a very miserable novel. She's she's not going to have a lovely life. She drives off at the end. She drives off east away from Portland um, to try and begin her life anew with a few things. But, you know, she's just she's not one of these people who's going to be super successful. All the other people in the novel, the, the criminals, the guys who are on probation, the people who are trying again. But they've obviously just groomed and that JJ you mentioned has obviously just groomed another young girl has been doing that for years and years. It's a kind of, um, again, here's another little detail. So the mother is moving into somebody else's house. She's going to illegally move her son in and she's going to spend the whole rest of her life sleeping on a couch. And it's just that little detail of how he'll have the bedroom and she'll sleep on the couch. And that's like forever. Mm -hmm. So there's there's no kind of economic or financial or material hope in this novel. Um, and the hope is only that the, the people love each other, even though they're worrying about money and, and cross with each other. And the, the daughter and the mother are kind of competing, you know, like the judgment of Solomon for the, for the opportunity to love the, the son and brother. You know, it's just it's just and the one nice the one nice story. So uh, she has a Lynette has had a really nice relationship with a nice guy who was who's looking after her, who she loved and he loved her, and she basically drove him away. And that's a really sad but completely convincing story because her her unresolved anger from her teen years kind of come out when the relationship with, with her steady boyfriend is going really well and she's still kind of venting those emotions and eventually they drive him away. And we discover from his brother that he has been kind of ruined by that relationship with Lynette. That whole chapter, chapter 16, is it's not quite a set piece and it's not quite self-contained, but it's pretty close. And it's it's a really complex. It's not even that long, really. I'm just looking now. It's it's um, so it's 20 pages long. So this is the length of like a longish but not super long short story. And it's one of the most, I think, complex, nuanced portrayals of someone moving into depression and how that affects them and how it affects the people that they love and the people who love them that I think I've ever read. It's unbelievable how good that is. It's absolutely... And that, that thing at the end where the brother is like basically says to her, you ruined my brother <laughs> is just yeah. devastating because you get to the end you're like you can't she can't you as a reader can't deny his the truth of what he said but and you've just seen the entire mitigation of it and how it's no one's fault it's that it's the worst thing about yeah. it is that it's no one's fault and it's really it's re- this is kind of the thing i mean when it's, it's like a harrowing novel is it's because of the sensitivity with which Willie Vlotten has written that and really kind of, yeah, just excavated very, very carefully. Again, with the same kind of attention to detail that, that you've described in, in other contexts earlier, just how, how subtly and horribly this, in this case, this mental illness takes someone over and just ruins them mm-hmm. and ruins kind of everything around them and up to this point in the novel you've heard lots of people telling her 
that she was that she ruined things for them and that she ruined things for herself but but here's the one point where you really see what that means like what living that means and how badly like they all hurl it at her like an accusation um but there you kind of see that it's not it's not that it's not that she was running around destroying things it's that she was really something really got into her that really ruined her at the same time i think well, it, it's just extraordinary to me um i i know i i agree and i but, but that but your point about it not being anybody's fault goes all the way through the novel i mean they're almost <clears throat> like it's it's full of uh criminally characters and disreputable people and so on but but there's <laughs> it's it, it seems sort of silly to say it but there's no there's no kind of evil villain pulling the strings. There's no there's no ultimate boss. There's just this constant economic grind of the people being at the bottom. And the mum has a speech uh, towards the end about it's a kind of anti-American dream speech. Yeah, I can't find it. Straight I, I, was, away. I just literally sort of... just turned to it because I was going to um, shift there. It's it's page um, well, two hundred five and and onwards. And it's what I thought was interesting about that. Um, I've read that speech a couple of times since I read the novel because um, I keep thinking about it and how it works. And it's one thing I'm always interested in when I'm reading novels of like, there's all kinds of different things to be interested in when you're reading a novel, obviously. But one of them is like to see where a writer is is taking risks with things and and how they're trying like technique risks and how they try to take risks with their technique to do things and accomplish things. And one thing that Willie Vlotten does in this novel is, and generally he, his 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 novels are very verbal. People talk to each other and they talk about themselves in their novels. And this again is kind of repeating some of the stuff that we've been over anyway. But like they they tend to be pretty honest about who they are most of the time. Like all these guys that double cross her and that she's trying to double cross, they always kind of say like, "Well, this is why I'm double crossing you, though." <laughs> um, and it's kind of interesting because. Uh, it's a hard thing to do and do well. And I think he mostly does it well. Early in the novel, there's some passages where characters are just kind of telling each other what they already know. And it bothered me a bit. But as the yeah. novel goes on, those conversations take on real nuance because of the things we've been talking about, because they're not always, it's not always clear cut what someone's position means. And so what they're saying requires a job of interpretation on your part. And it also allows characters to say things that the, that the author might not necessarily agree with or hold to be true or whatever either and and it's interesting here where the mother to some degree i think becomes a, a bit of a ventriloquist dummy for for willie vlotten's own i mean i'm speculating in ways that you're not allowed to right in a literature class about like uh -huh. like what the author intended but he's kind of it's a it's a little bit like he's venting all of his rage about the political and sort of um corporate class of america and and what they do to people on the other hand, it's totally earned through this character who is who is who is like this. You know, she would say these things, and I think ultimately she draws a conclusion that isn't necessarily his conclusions. You know, could be, could not be, but she draws conclusions that he wouldn't necessarily. And it's kind of interesting to see that how that works. And I think it's a, it's a real risk that he's taking here to give this long speech to this woman that just lays out a series of of accusations that i mean i don't mean this this is going to sound like an insult none of them are great revelations about 
about how you know capitalism, American capitalism, yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. But they're but they're still interesting, and they're 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 earned, and they're lived within this woman's experience of how she has lived her life. So, so I've got, I've got so many things to say about this. So the first thing I want to say is that is that the bit that really struck me with the mum is the mother is when she says something like I'm I'm mean I'm becoming meaner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she says that uh, here we are, page two hundred five. The thing is, Annette, I'm getting mean, not angry like you, but just mean and bitter. Uh, and so, one of the things about the novel is it's it, it's always about people becoming, and that's again about the names. Then, like, no one is just a prostitute. They're, they're doing def- different sorts of things, and you see things going on, but no one's identity is kind of fixed. And they're constantly in flux, just like the city itself is in flux. And so, Lynette. Lynette and the mother are talking to each other and one is a younger version of the other and the other is the older version and the mother's giving that in, in, incredible speech. But in the end, the mother, the mother says, um, the end of that speech, just look out for yourself and screw everyone else. But we've just seen her, as it were, fighting her daughter for possession of her... Uh, her son yeah so the mother herself doesn't quite believe it well and she's also Um, she's also just before this having having had an incredibly massive row with her daughter the daughter has come home severely injured and she's very lovingly and carefully and and matter-of-factly tended to her wounds while they argue (laughs) yeah yeah, and they resolve what they resolve the argument over the course of the care but like, so you've seen, you've seen, you've seen that, like that maternal love that belies what she's just said. Yeah. And, but she's still also giving the kind of maternal advice. Yeah. But I, I want to, to say something else about the talking. So I, I agree with you in the first quarter of the novel, some of the conversations are a bit, a bit too expositional. And you think like, sure, you know that about your mum. But, but I kind of I kind of forgive that because it's done so well. And then, as you say, towards the end, it, it's, it's absolutely earned. But, but also, I want to say really a kind of, um, again, a thing you can't say in a literature class, which is it's very American. So in, a, in an English novel, in an English novel by, a, by a, a white English person, all the conversation stuff goes on in the subtext and no one really says what they want. And the the. the the interest of it is interpreting the subtext, what's really happening. Whereas in this, the people kind of tell each other stuff all the time. And, you know, sometimes they're lying, but that's not quite the same as saying, hello, how are you, when actually you mean get stuffed. Yeah, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And I, 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 re- I, I somehow I really liked that. And I thought that that gave a way of... So the novel's about gentrification, and it's about 2008 and the crash and the changing property and the the, uh, the complete collapse of social mobility and all those kinds of things. And that's that's the deep story that's going on, and you're seeing it in these in these crushed characters' lives. And, and in fact, there are no. I mean, there's there's lots of British writers have tried to write about the the credit crunch or the last 15 years under capitalism, and and none of them have done this good a job. And I think that's because they can't do the talking in the way that this novel does the talking i'm sorry that's not a very sophisticated way of expressing it <laughs> i understand but, what I mean, you mean though there yeah. is something going on there well it's also the there's a question here of um and i, I don't mean i don't need to mean specifically in exactly the same context that you're talking but it's it's related is like there's a difference in in if you if you want to write a novel that reflects on or investigates or tries to dramatize the aftermath of the 2008 credit crunch you have to decide where you're going to look and there's lots of novels that lots of novels that do that that 
by looking at the banks they you know they look at mm. they look at Lehman brothers or whatever and and they think like that's where the, the story lies in these in these like mendacious bankers and blah 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 but actually Willie Vlotten's saying you know the, the story isn't there the story isn't with the bankers who all you know escaped jail it's not the story isn't the wolf of wall street or the big short or whatever the story is people living below the waterline in portland yeah i i that's absolutely right so remind me a little of a book by uh i've got his first name it's called the spinning gate and again it's a set in it's an art it's a a post-credit crunch mm. Irish novel. And again, exactly as you say, it's all the it's all the people who've been stuffed by it, whose lives, I mean, they haven't been made homeless, but they their hopes and dreams have all gone. And there's no there's kind of no way out to keep except keep grinding along on the bottom. So it reminded me a bit of that. And the and the the English novels like Capital that try and do it, try and give you those kind of, you know, old fashioned state of the nation. But like we know we know the bankers who got away with it are still driving their fancy cars and going on their fancy holidays. It's exactly the people who are really stuffed by it, the JJs and the Lynettes and so on, that are really suffering. But even again, even the little detail things. So the mother names some restaurants they used to go to on one of the streets that's been completely gentrified that they can no longer afford to go to ever. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's just that's exactly what you'd say. You've been priced out of your own neighborhood. This is what um, Nelson Algren called showing the lives behind the billboards. He talks about he talks about the billboards showing all these nice advertisements and everyone getting forward and and progressing and having a great time. But there's all these people who are who are living behind those billboards who never have a chance at any of those things that the billboards are advertising. And that's what he was interested in telling telling uh, stories about making literature about. And I think Willie Vlotten, his attention falls in the same direction. And, and interestingly to me, as someone who loves Nelson Algren and tries to mention him on every podcast. You do. Um, that that he does it with some of the same approaches as well. Uh, some of the things we've been talking about, in fact. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a different, it's a different subject matter, I suppose, or a different angle on the same subject matter to what you've been talking about or what you've been talking about in comparison to some of the English novels about the same topics. Mm. But, but again, it, it, it's the, I mean, the, to use that anthropological term, it's kind of the thick description of it. There are no, there are no kind of showy literary post postmodern tricks here. It's, it's just, it's kind of, there's lots of dialogue, but it's just really, it's, you can you really get their lives and all the the detail and what they can and can't do and the the heat and the nastiness of the bakery and her exhaustion you get as well it's a very um this this out of context this would sound so obnoxious it's a very tired novel it's every it's it really like is you start out you start out with her exhausted being dragged out of bed literally by her brother and she's never less tired than that all the way through i kept saying like go and have a nap (laughs) but you know she just can't but it's just and then again i kept thinking why why isn't it called the the dawn always comes you know because it's the the main part of the action is you know through the night and in fact but it's not because the night always comes because it's always going to get dark again even if there are nice bits i suppose but i did i was so i was kind of worried for her oh (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm so well i'm so pleased i'm so pleased you gave you uh pushed this novel my way i was really really impressed with it i and i just think it's just it's so well put together um 
no, I've just opened a page at random and, and um, just the detail, white Toyota Avalon Limited. It had no license plates, only a placard that said Toyota Repoed Portland and taped through a windshield was a white trip permit. It's just all these little details that just tell you everything you need to know, just as they kind of tell her. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's it's a novel that constantly tests your willingness to live in the details that you're reading about along with her and that you keep almost as as badly as you want to turn every page and keep reading the story you're really reluctant to because of whatever terrible thing might happen next and what might what fate might mm-hmm. befall this character but i don't think it's a terrible spoiler to say she does live to the end of the novel which yeah i i was worried about at several points <laughs> um uh, and and it is i think a novel that has real real heart to it and and i think real hope mm-hmm. to it albeit a hope that is quite contained and realistic i don't know if that's if you can say that about hope i'm not sure yeah well he, he, i mean here she is at the end she's talking to kenny you'll see i'll remember to be kind and i'll try not to be so weak I'll try to be strong and I'll think about you every minute and I'll love you every second. Thanks for saving me, Kenny. Thanks for being my brother. She kissed him on the face over and over until he pulled his head away and pushed her off. Tears were streaming down her face. I'll come and get you. I swear on my life I will. When you see me, I'll be good. I'll be doing good. So it's just it's just kind of... She, I mean, she, she's. it's like she's... she's She's in recovery the whole time and doing her best to recover. But it's just because the world is so awful and caustic around her and, and impoverished, she just it's just really, really hard. Yeah. And really moving. And um, I think a novel that it's fairly impossible, like all of his novels, really, and like a lot of his music. And I, I feel like it's not my job in this podcast to tell people to go out and buy all of his books and buy all of his <laughs> records. But to me, he's just one of the really like interesting, thoughtful, talented artists working at the moment. And I, I, it's a, I recommend reading all his novels. They're all really good, really worthwhile. It's a really interesting body of work. And that's probably as good a place as any to finish our um, episode of Novel Romantics. Bob Eaglestone, Robert Eaglestone, thank you so much for joining me on Novel Romantics. Thank you, Doug. I really, really enjoyed it. And I really, I, I'm going to read all the rest of his novels. Good. You should. <laughs> so should everyone else. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Just so you know, once again, the views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the guests or the host, not the American Centrum, which does not take any institutional positions on politics or policy. Thanks again for listening.